guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. What is up, friends? Welcome back to the Mimosa Sisterhood podcast. This is your host, Melissa, and we are back for our February Black History Month episode. I snuck this one in really last minute before the month ended, but we're here and we're doing it and we're doing it good. So I'm really excited because I have Ricky Bell back on the mic with me today. This is her third guest host appearance on the podcast. And I love Ricky because I literally met her through this podcast. And we've only known each other for like eight months. And I swear to God, she's like, top five of my most favorite people on earth. And that is the coolest thing ever. And I think it's really one of the coolest things about having a podcast and being able to connect with so many people out in the world. Because I'm telling you, you guys, the women that I have connected through this podcast are so supportive of me and their friendships mean the absolute world. And Ricky is one of these people. And so I'm just so thankful that I met her and I'm so thankful that she comes and graces us with her presence on the podcast. And we've got a really great episode once again for all y'all to hear. So I'm super excited about it. And we talk about two very important topics. We talk about the end of slavery And we get to hear a really awesome story about a woman whose life took such an unexpected twist and turn after she was freed from slavery. She did so much cool ass shit. She owned her true authentic identity and self and she apologized to nobody about it. And her story is just so cool. It's so hilarious and it's just super, super empowering. And this woman truly goes down in history as an incredible representation of female black identity following the end of slavery. And in addition to her, we have another sweet angelic soul that we're talking about today. And this is a woman who made history as a young girl, like six years old, young. And this poor baby angel child was put into one of the most difficult situations. I can't even imagine her thoughts, feelings, and emotions while she endured this time in her life. But without her, we wouldn't be where we are today. And we have her bravery and strength to thank for the end of segregation in public schools in the South. So two extremely awesome stories on the lineup today. Before we get into it, I just wanted to remind everybody that we have a kick-ass monthly newsletter. 
It is so fun. It is my favorite thing outside of producing this podcast for you. I do a lot of research and I write some really cool, funny articles from women's history to news to health. I talk about some astrology shit. I always feature a really awesome female fun fact that maybe you've never heard from before. And I always highlight a female artist that I've discovered that I would like to share with the rest of the world. And so it's just a bomb. So if you are interested, you can sign up on my Instagram page through the link in my profile, or you can go to my website at mimosasisterhood.com and you can sign up through the website. So on that note, let's get into our episode featuring some seriously badass women in history. Welcome back to the show, Ricky. Thanks. I'm so excited to be back. Episode number three, I think, right? Yes. That is so cool. And seriously, before we started recording, I started thinking back about like the first time we recorded together, which was, I think, June 2020. Man. And right in the midst of like the world crashing and burning into oblivions. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what happened. <laughs> and like the craziest thing is I remember when we were recording, it was like right in the middle of like major Black Lives Matter protesting across the entire country, if not internationally. It was honestly taking place globally. Yeah. And like to think about like everything that's gone down since that day that we recorded for the first time. I mean, one, Trump's gone. Thank Two, God. Kamala's in office. Yes. And, like, let's just hope that, like, 2021 goes smoother. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I hope so. Because 2020 was wild. It was so wild. And it was so heavy. And I was literally just saying to, like, my boyfriend yesterday, like, I was like, I really, like, I really just hope for 2021 We can just, like, chill. Like, nobody needs to die. Buildings don't need to be destroyed. People don't need to be, you know, like, having to protest for their lives. Like, can we just relax? Like, can everybody just, like, take a seat? (laughs) Respect basic human decency? Like... (laughs) Yes! Please? Like, it was so much for 2020. It was just, it was just endless, like pain for months and months and months and like I feel like there's been really good change that's occurring in the world and I'm just hoping that it leads us down a year with less grief I hope so because I don't know if I can withstand any more because that it was wild 2020 was wild it really was wild um but super cool that We've got Kamala in office. I know. I'm so excited, though. Like, I hope. Well, first of all, Joe Biden is like 107. So, like, <laughs> I'm just glad that if anything ever, God forbid, happens to this man, like, Kamala's there because she's going to get it right, I think. Yeah. I hope. Get it right. Get it right. Get it tight. Yes. I hope so. <laughs> we need to tighten up because shit, it's bananas. <laughs> 
really is. Um, well, what else has been going on? How's the t-shirt biz? How's life been? What's cracking? T-shirt biz is popping right now. Um, just, well, not just, since we're like the end of February, released my Black History Month collection and I was obsessed with it. People loved it. Um, working on a new one now. It's going to be good. A new collection? Yep. It's, I don't want to, I'm not telling you yet because, God, okay. it. it's so good. It's so good. Um, and just working as a teacher, as you know, in a pandemic, that's great with a new principal, even better. But you know what else is fucking cool that you've been doing? Tell me. All of your badass Black History Month shout outs on Facebook that are giving people all the light. Yes, dude, I have to educate because like, first of all, it just makes me so mad that Black History Month is like one month and like black history is american history so i know like when i'm teaching i try because i teach american literature like i try to incorporate like different people um that are not just white because they're so used to reading like old white dead men so Mm -hmm. to do that and like to share it on facebook people are like you should keep doing this year round i'm like i don't know if i have the patience for that but that's a good idea yeah, it's it's so cool, like, just to see, like, how much people are loving learning about it. Yeah. Like, I feel like every time you post a new person with a write-up on them, people are, like, so amped. Like, holy shit, I seriously just learned something. This is so cool. Thank you for doing that. And so. it's so weird because I'm a friends with a lot of, like, my old teachers that I had in high school. And they're like, oh, my gosh, like, you're teaching us. And I'm like, yes, bitch, I am. <laughs> And you know what? Like, I think it just goes back to show, like, especially with this podcast, that people are always interested in learning new things or learning more about things they thought they knew but didn't really know fully. Yeah. I think it's really important that we find ways to, like, spread this information again in a more digestible way and in an age where people, like, it makes sense to them and they want to know it. Yes. And, like, the feedback that you've gotten from your Black History Month education and, like, even just feedback I get from the show, it's, like, people are, people like it. Yes, people love learning. So, I'm all about it. yeah. Loving it. I love it. Love it. Maybe I need to start a podcast about Black history. (laughs) You should. I cannot. You do entirely too much. (laughs) I will leave that to you. And I'll just cover black people every time I'm here. Yeah. Well, I mean, other than the raging murderer that you covered in our last episode. um... (laughs) Yeah, she was not black. No! (laughs) She was a crazy white woman. She was crazy. Yeah. But this is awesome because... I have somebody who's black today for today's episode. <gasps> Me too. And you know, it's like, I I was like thinking like, shit, I haven't really done a Black History Month episode yet. Partly because it's like, I feel like it's Black History Month like every t- day for the podcast anyway. Like, yeah. you know, we just cover all women. All and so women. Yeah. I was I was kind of hoping that you were going to cover somebody black today and of then we course. could make it. We could sneak in a Black History Month episode before the month ended. Yes. And here we are. Yes, this is going to be so good. I'm so excited. Cool. Okay, well, are you drinking any beverages with us today? Okay, so I last weekend just got back from a bachelorette 
weekend in Asheville, North Carolina, and I've learned about myself that I cannot, will not, will never again drink multiple days in a row because uh, 31 is a lot different than 25. So... (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Yes. We went to, like, all of these breweries in Asheville, and, like, it was nice. And, like, I brought some home. Like, there's this one, like, 9.8%. It's so good. Chef's kiss. But... Today I'm drinking White Claw because I was really just going to drink a cup of coffee and some water because it's a Sunday. But also, like, just so people know, I am in the same place as you to the point that last time that we were supposed to record, I had to cancel because I was wasted and it was 10 in the morning and I was still shit-faced from drinking the night before and I was like, Ricky, I cannot get on a microphone right now and speak. Like, this would not Look, be okay. <laughs> the last time I was 10 sheets to the wind was New Year's Eve. And I woke up the next day and I stayed in bed all day. So, like, I feel it. Yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing for me. Like, it's weird. When I was younger, I could, you know, party and rally the next day. Yes. And now... So here's the thing. I don't even get hangovers anymore. I just don't ever stop being drunk. It's like the never-ending drunk. That sounds so awful. It is. And so for reference, I was drinking that Friday night. And mind you, I went out to dinner and I had two Moscow mules, maybe three. And then I came home and was like feeling myself, you know, like, oh! it's 7 p.m. uh already back home after a couple drinks like i think i might pour a couple more and i apparently that took me over the edge and i was drunk until like sunday morning man (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's a no for me my liver does not react that way anymore uh i got it all out of the way by the time i had turned 21 so like I'm good. I'm good. Yep. It's not good. So, Philia, I understand. What are you drinking? Well, so it's only like one o'clock here for me, which is like a little early for me to be like, you know, taking down a whole bottle of wine as I do typically on recording. Yeah. So I was like, what am I going to drink? What am I going to drink? I'm bringing it back to my old faithful coffee and Bailey's. However, I have a different liqueur to present today so i saw this the other day when i was getting groceries at trader joe's and they have what's called a cold brew coffee and cream liqueur and you're literally supposed to just put this over ice and drink it cold um that sounds delightful yeah so it's basically a cold brew with alcohol in it over ice and i will say that if you are looking to get jacked up on sugar, that is absolutely the way to go for you. Okay. I <laughs> am a little sensitive to that much sugar. Yeah. So I just poured it into my coffee and um, it's fire. Okay. So I'm basically drinking like an iced coffee with cold brew liqueur in it and it's a bomb. See, that sounds amazing, but like... I'm at that weird stage in time since we're three hours apart that it's 4.20 here. And if I drink coffee after two o'clock, I'm never sleeping again. So, 
Yeah, this is this is thirty, dude. This is bad. Oh my god! Can't drink. Yeah. Can't drink coffee. I will have water. <sighs> you know what? It's fine. Uh, and white claw is just the go-to. It really is. You can have one white claw. It get, gets you feeling a little good. Yeah, but it's light on the stomach. Got like, two. I'm ready. It's perfect. Perfection. Yeah, just keeping it simple over here in Cincinnati. Love it. Well, I have an awesome woman to tell you about today, and she's actually has, like, part of her life was in Ohio. (gasps) So that's kind of cool. I'm excited! Yeah. And so I'd never heard of this woman before. I found a brief bio on her life in one of my books that I have, my Trillion Feminist books. I was going to say, you have, like, a thousand I read a little bit of her story in this book, and I was like, ooh, this lady's hysterical. And then I did, like, a good Google search on her, and I was like, fuck yes. So I am covering somebody today who's great for Black History Month, but she also is just such a freaking hilarious woman that, like, I just love her as just such a cool, kick-ass lady in history in general. And I think you probably don't know who she is, but we'll see. So I'm covering somebody that goes by the name Stagecoach Mary Fields. No, I don't know who this broad is, but I'm excited. (laughs) So she was the first African-American woman to work for the U.S. Postal Service. But in addition to that, she is like a literal legend in the Wild Wild West era. What? Oh my gosh, my mom's gonna love this because she's weird and like is obsessed with like westerns. So this is about to be her favorite new lady. Yeah, so this lady is so funny, and all you have to do is one Google search of her name to see the most badass picture of this lady. She's, like, toting a big-ass, like, rifle gun, and she's just, like, ready to fuck shit up, basically. (laughs) So, I will tell you the story of her life. It's short and sweet, particularly because... uh, Mary was born into slavery, so we miss this huge chunk of her childhood that there's just, like, zero record of. So most of what I'm going to be telling you about is her life as an adult after slavery ended. So um, it's a little short and sweet, but nevertheless, it's an incredible story about a kick-ass lady I've never heard of who I think is such an icon for Black History Month and just so fucking cool. I'm so excited. And I feel like... She should be, like, taught about because she's just so badass. Yes. I'm so excited. So Mary was born into slavery in Hickman County, Tennessee, and we don't know her birthday because there's no record of that, but we think she was born around 1832. And again, we don't know anything about Mary's life until she was freed from slavery in 1865 at the end of the Civil War. So after this period, she ended up going up the Mississippi River and she was working on river boats and she was acting as like a servant for families along the way. And then she ended up getting a job working for a man named Judge Edmund Dunn. And his wife had just recently passed away while she was working with the family. So he asked Mary to take their five children up to go stay with their aunt, whose name was Mother Mary Amadeus. 
And she was a mother superior of a convent in Toledo, Ohio. She was badass. She was probably mean as shit. (laughs) She was probably so mean. (laughs) Yeah. Aren't like all nuns so mean? Um, in my experience, okay, I went to Catholic school, K through 12, and we had a- So did I. Stop. Did I not know this about you? Maybe not. I went to I went to Catholic school till I graduated high school. Yeah, same. Oh my gosh. crazy! So we had nuns that would like come over and like visit our high school often because like the convent was right next door, and we had the cutest little nicest nun, Sister Michaeline. May she rest in peace. But like she was really nice, but the rest of them I did not fuck with. So we had um. We only had, like, one nun that worked at our elementary school, and I don't remember her being, like, mean, but I don't know. Like, I just wasn't into the whole thing. Like, I remember being, like, in third grade and then being like, all right, everybody line up to confess your sins, and it's like, yeah. huh? Yeah. <laughs> what sins? I'm seven. Right. I, I said my mom was mean. Like, what are you supposed to say? We also had one that was, like, a substitute all the time when I was in grade school, and she poked this boy in his mouth and made his gums bleed. And her name was Sister Caritas. That bitch I'm afraid of. Like, she's probably still alive. She's probably a thousand years old right now, but I was scared of her. Sorry, Lord. That is crazy. Yeah, she she was so mean. She was so mean. Well, and you know what else I was thinking about? Like, military school? That, like, kids get sent to when they're bad. I feel like all of those are run by nuns. Have to be. And I think they're pretty gnarly. Yeah. Have to <laughs> I think be. they're, like, beating kids with sticks and shit. Yeah. But My mom went to Catholic school growing up, too, and she used to get her ass whooped by nuns all the time. Like, bend <laughs> over, take this paddle to the ass. Like. Oh, man. Couldn't be me. Well, in this story... I think the nuns were pretty gnarly, but they were no match for stagecoach Mary Fields. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so, so yeah, so she ended up in Toledo, Ohio. Ugh. And so she was staying at this convent and she worked there as a groundskeeper. But her gruff style and her cursing raised eyebrows among the nuns. And when she was asked, like, hey, how was your journey here to Toledo, she responded, a good cigar and a drink. (laughs) (laughs) The nuns are probably, like, clutching their rosaries. So historians claim that the nuns complained about Mary's volatile temper and her difficult nature, and one nun specifically noted the wrath that would occur after somebody like stepped on mary's freshly cut garden grounds and so she was quoted to say god help anybody who walked on the lawn after mary had cut it oh so i guess mary was pretty serious about her her work she was like hey i didn't just cut this lawn for you to come storming through it so she had a big personality obviously and you know the nuns were like holy shit who is this this woman that's here like she's gnarly so in addition to all that mary also fought with the nuns over her wages like she was basically like you're not paying me enough for what i'm doing and this behavior shocked these white women who 
we're used to African Americans being very well behaved and subservient due to the slavery era. Yeah. So, like, slavery had ended. She was, you know, speaking up for herself. She was ruffling feathers. She was going against the grain. And they were like, why is she acting this way? (laughs) And it's like, well, bitch, slavery's over. (laughs) You thought. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Oh, man. Yeah. So she was just like showed up and just was causing what they believed to be like havoc, just wreaking havoc on the grounds. So in 1884, Mother Amadeus, which was that aunt who she went to go drop off the kids with, and then she ended up becoming really close friends with this woman. So Mother Amadeus was sent to uh, Montana Territory on missionary work. And so she went there to go start a school for Native American girls at St. Peter's Mission, which is west of Cascade, Montana. And while she was there, she fell sick with pneumonia. And so Mary traveled over to Montana to go nurse her back to health because she was really close friends with this woman and wanted to take care of her and make sure she was okay. And so she was able to get Mother Amadeus recovered, but at the same time, she ended up just staying in Montana and now working at this new convent so she could just stay close to this nun that she had a really good relationship with. And so while she was at this new convent, she took up different types of work. She started hauling freight, doing laundry, growing vegetables, tending to chickens, repairing buildings. And eventually became, like, the forewoman of the entire grounds. What can't she do? (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So she, like, faithfully served the nuns at this mission. And it was, like, you know, every day she got up and she did her work and she did it well. And she made sure that things were running smoothly and everybody was happy. So they had, like, a good camaraderie for the most part. But news reached town about her wild behavior And eventually it made its way to the bishop, who raised concerns about her habits of drinking, smoking, shooting guns, and wearing men's clothing. (laughs) Like a devil of Thursday. It's the 1800s. Yeah. So, you know, I think she was, people were kind of like, one, why aren't you wearing like a bonnet and like a gown? Like as the women dressed, you know, back then. And she was also doing work that wasn't typical for women. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah, she did, like, laundry and stuff like this, but she was also, like, building, you know, walls and, like, doing a bunch of more, like, hard manual labor type work right. in addition to, like, smoking, <laughs> drinking, and shooting guns in her spare time. So they were like, what in the world is going on? So then in 1894, Mary had a little bit of an incident with a male janitor from the convent in which guns were drawn between the two. And that was the last straw, and the bishop ordered her to leave the convent. Damn. (laughs) So she got kicked out of the nunnery. Oh, man. That probably made for a good story at the bar. Right? (laughs) Which you know damn well she was at the bar. Oh, for sure. So after she got kicked out, her nun friend, Mother Amadeus, helped her open her own restaurant in nearby Cascade, Montana. And that was super cool. But Mary 
made the business decision that she was going to serve food to anybody that came into her restaurant, whether they could pay or not, which like bless you and the kindness of your beautiful heart. You're such an angel of a woman. However, within 10 months, the restaurant closed due to bankruptcy. Aww. So she like basically was just serving people for free and not profiting anymore. And so she, her business closed because it couldn't withstand. (sighs) That's sad. I know. And so after that happened, she picked up odd jobs and she became known for enjoying hard liquor and gunfights in the neighborhood. Okay. But this tough reputation ended up paying off for her at the age of 60 years old, when Mary got a contract from the Postal Service to become a star route carrier, in which her job was to protect the mail on her route from thieves and bandits, and also to just deliver mail. At 60. So, yeah, so at 60 years old. And so the way it worked was, like, she literally was in, like, a horse-drawn carriage. And in the carriage was, like, all of the mail that needed to be delivered from, like, point A to B to C to D. And back in the day, Wild Wild West era, there were a bunch of freaking, like, bandit dudes who, you know, were on horses and coming and basically, like, robbing mail mail carriages. I don't know why, what they did with it. Like, what are you going to take, this letter? I don't know. I have no clue. Like, I don't know if maybe at times she was, like, moving money around. I'm not totally sure, but I guess this was, like, a thing, and it was such a thing that... The only people that were allowed to have these jobs were, like, the most gnarly of people that either, one, weren't afraid of thieves and bandits, or two, could hold their own if thieves and bandits showed up. And this was a job that they thought would be perfect for stagecoach Mary Fields at 60 years old. (laughs) Damn. That's crazy. I know. So she got the job, and she was only the second woman in the United States and the first Black woman to serve in that role, and that officially landed her the name Stagecoach Mary. So she grew a reputation around town of being a fearless mail carrier. She was six feet tall. Damn. She carried a rifle and a revolver, and she drove the route with horses and a mule named Moses. She met trains to deliver mail, and she'd drive her stagecoach over rocky, rough roads and through snow. If there was snow that was, like, too deep for the horses, she would deliver the mail on snowshoes, carrying the sacks on her shoulders. Damn, at 60? I just... Look, at 60, I plan on, like, traveling and, like, sleeping, Right? Not delivering mail. Could you just imagine, like, being in a horse-drawn carriage through the snow, like, with, like, the biggest thing that could happen, being attacked by thieves and just being like, cool, let's do this. I got my guns. No. So, yeah. And then, in addition, rumor has it that Stagecoach Mary also fought off a pack of angry wolves with her rifle. (laughs) So there was a bunch of shit that was going down out there. What? A pack of wolves? Yeah. So for eight years, Mary did this. She protected the mail and she delivered the mail like from in this whole Montana area. Eight so years. So she was doing it from 60 to 68. Oh my and she God. did it successfully during that entire time period and did not die. Like she was not killed, which often happened when bandits took over the mail carriages. Yeah. 
and you encounter wolves. Like, what? So yeah, she was a badass bitch. And so, although she was super intimidating to potential thieves, she was highly respected among the local people who praised her, like, not only for the insane work that she was doing for just the mail route, but also because she had, like, a, a tremendous amount of generosity and kindness to children, to the point that the town closed its schools each year to celebrate her birthday, and she became a mascot for the town's baseball team. Oh, that's, like, so sweet, but also, like, what? <laughs> I know! Like, so sweet and interesting how much they idolized her. And, like, another thing to note, I don't know that Montana is a place that would be, like, idolizing a Black woman shortly after slavery. Yeah. So I'm kind of assuming that this was, like, a predominantly white area. Right. And Mary was this woman that they've respected greatly and, like, trusted with their children and just loved and adored her. That's amazing. It is pretty cool. So, yeah. So, she was just, like, a huge hit in this town. And then in 1903, at the age of 71, Mary finally retired from the Star Route Mail Carrier Service. And she continued to babysit many children in Cascade, Montana. And she also ended up owning and operating a laundry service from her own home. The community continued to rally for her, and they supported her, and local restaurateurs gave her free meals when she'd come in and eat, and the saloons regularly chatted her up at the bars. And then when Montana passed a law forbidding women to enter saloons, the mayor of Cascade granted her an exception. (laughs) What? (laughs) This lady is a badass. Yes. And so Mary passed away on December 5th, 1914, and the townspeople raised money to have her buried in a cemetery on a road that she frequently drove through on her route. And Mary's funeral was one of the largest the town had ever seen. Mary was considered somewhat of a legend and a hero, and she was often a symbol of female Black empowerment, which is insane considering this was a small town in Montana, and Mary was a freed, literate African-American woman who did not conform to any ideals that society put on her. That is (laughs) amazing, because I don't even know my mailman's name. Right? And also, like, like again, like, slavery had just ended, and she had previously lived her entire life having to be obedient, you know, do what was told of her, work for people, like, endlessly, and answer to the white folk. Wow. And it's, like, after this, after slavery ended, she went on to just, like live her most genuine organic self which like where did she one even get the confidence to do that (laughs) like not only confidence but like bravery like risk taking because i imagine like even after slavery ended shit was like like treading very very lightly yes like you don't just show up guns blazing the day after slavery ended you know what i mean (laughs) that's good (laughs) 
So it's just like astonishing to me, I think, like how true to herself she was and how given this time period, she didn't follow any of the like expectations that society put like in terms of how she should dress, how she should behaving, what was considered feminine, what was considered masculine. You know, the fact that she never like married or had any kids fact that she carried jobs that were predominantly male-oriented. Yeah. And also just the fact that everybody in this little white town loved her. Loved her. And she was just the queen of the crop. That's amazing. Good for her. And so I wanted to end on this quote of hers, which is like a more, it's more like a poem, I think. Um, but this is this is how it goes. So it says... People call me Black Mary. People call me Stagecoach Mary. I live in Cascade, Tennessee. Yeah, I thought it was Montana. (laughs) I think somebody wrote this wrong. I live in Cascade, Montana. I am six feet tall. I weigh over 200 pounds. A woman of the 19th century, I do bold and exciting things. I wear pants. I smoke big black cigars. I drink whiskey. I carry a pistol. I love adventure. I travel the country, driving stagecoach, delivering the mail to towns. I'm strong. I fight through rainstorms. I'm tough. I fight through snowstorms. I risk hurricanes and tornadoes. I am independent. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me where to go. When I'm not delivering mail, I like to build things. I like to smoke in bars with men. I like to be rough. I like to be rowdy. I also like to be loving. I like to be caring. I like to babysit. I like to plant flowers. I like to give away corsages and bouquets. I like being me, Mary Fields, a.k.a. Stagecoach Mary. Oh, my gosh. I love her. Stop. (laughs) That's amazing. I know. And to think this is like the second woman to ever be employed by the U.S. Postal Service and then the first black woman to be employed by the U.S. Postal Service following slavery at the end of the 1800 time period. And Just like, nuts. did not keep a low profile at all. Like, she couldn't. She was six foot tall and 200 pounds. Like, that's a whole lot of women. <laughs> yes. And she was carrying a rifle and a, and a cigar in yes. her mouth. Dang. I'm yeah, going to have to so Google she, her so I can see her picture. She is a gnarly ass bitch. Oh, like, I got to see her. Like, it is no doubt that the, the bandits out in Montana were not down. No. Like, they saw her and were like, hell no. <laughs> Shit, if I saw her, I'd say, hell no. Like, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah, so she's super cool. Never had heard of her before. And I I just like her story because it's, you know, it's an important story that we should know about women, Black women, after slavery ended. But I just also love her her unapologetic ways of like living her own independent identity in whatever that looked like. Yeah, like didn't give a fuck what anybody <laughs> thought about her, clearly. And the fact that she was living on convents with the nuns while being this person. Yes. Oh my god. I mean, talk about they're probably like deer in headlights, like scared to death of her. Yes. I love her. I want her to be my Aunt Mary. Right? She's so cool. She is so cool. 
yeah, I think her story is so funny, um, but just like such a cool lady just to remember from history during this period of time because she's not only badass, but she's just hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> I just like love everything that she stands for. So yeah, that's Stagecoach Mary Fields, a badass broad back in the 1800s who don't take no shit from no one. No shit. I love her. That was a good one. Okay, so Stagecoach Mary. All right, well, who do you got? <laughs> Nothing as bad. Okay, never mind. She's pretty badass, but like in a completely different way. So, every Black History Month, I share this lady because I think she is probably my favorite human ever in life, and she's still alive today. Um, I am covering Miss Ruby Bridges who was the first African-American to integrate into public schools at oh, cool. six years old. Oh, shit. Yeah. I actually, so when you first said the name, it didn't click. But I, now that you've made that description, I totally remember seeing an article about her. This lady. Online. I get like goosebumps every time I think of her. So I oh clearly so cool. had to cover her today. Yes. Okay. So born in 1954. Wild because that wasn't that long ago. Like my mom no. was born in 57. So like she's younger than Ruby Bridges. Like wild. So born in 1954, Ruby Bridges is was the oldest of five children um, her parents were both farmers in a town called Tylertown, Mississippi. So, like, you already know it was racist. Like, um, so the same year she was born, the Supreme Court ruled in the landmark Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas case um, that was supposed to end racial segregation in public schools. During this time, southern states were extremely resistant to the decision that they had to integrate. And so, for, like, the following six years, they fought it. And so, many white people did not want schools to be integrated. And though it was a federal ruling, state governments were not doing their part to enforce these new laws. Which is so shitty. Like... Yeah. Okay. So, when she was four years old, her family moved to New Orleans. Two years later, so when she was six, a test was given to the city's African-American students to determine who would be able to enter the all-white schools that they had. Six years old. Like, I could never. No. No. Is there, a like, a really iconic photo of her, like, yes. on the steps? Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, like, that is what's coming to mind right now. I'm, like, I know I've seen an image of this young girl. Yes. Like, so tiny. So tiny. She was so little. Ugh. I know. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. <sighs> so, um, she passed the test, and she was selected for enrollment at the school called William France Elementary School, which was currently all white. Um, so two of the six children who passed the test decided to stay at their old school, which was like an all-black school. And then Ruby was the only one to go by herself at six. Um, the final three children were transferred to another school in the district. So like, here's little Ruby, six years old, going to this all-white school, being the only black kid. Like, what? Oh my god. Just so, so uncomfortable. Oh, like, just feeling, like, out of place. And yes. you know all the heads turned and looked when she, like, walked in. Yes. Yes. Ugh. 
So her father initially was opposed to her attending the all-white school, but her mom kind of convinced him to let Ruby enroll. So she felt strongly that the move was needed not only for her own daughter to get a better education, but to take a step forward for all African-American children. So she's like the poster child of, okay, do this and like make it a better place for those behind you. So, in 1959, at six years old, Ruby attended kindergarten at a segregated school. Um, Her first day was Monday, November the 14th, and Ruby described arriving at school on the first day by saying, Driving up, I could see the crowd, but living in New Orleans, I actually thought it was Mardi Gras. (gasps) I know. There was, like, that many people out? Yes. Yes. There was a large crowd of people outside of the school. They were throwing things and shouting, and that sort of goes on in New Orleans at Mardi Gras. Like, they were mad? Yes! Oh, my God. Yeah, it gets worse. So, former United States Deputy Marshal Charles Burks um, escorted Ruby into school, and he later recalled that she showed a lot of courage. She never cried. She didn't whimper. She just marched along like a little soldier, and we were all very, very proud of her. Aww. It makes me so sad. <sighs> so, she spent her first day in the principal's office because of the chaos that was created. Um, lots of angry white parents pulled their children from school. Segregationists threw their children or withdrew their children permanently. Um, there's a woman named Barbara Henry, and she was a white teacher from Boston. Um, And she was the only teacher that was willing to accept Ruby. And for over a year, she taught Ruby alone. Like, it was just her and Ruby in a room. And as if she was teaching a whole class. Because nobody wanted their kid in the same class as Ruby. That is insane. (laughs) I know. Like, she's six. Like, what is she going to do? Oh, my God. So she they just had a teacher for her and two people sitting alone doing studying, like, Classwork together? Yep. Just Ruby and Barbara. Okay, well, I'm confused, though. Like, why was she the only kid? So, I guess a lot of, like, the other, like, black parents whose kids passed the test, like, didn't want their kids to have to go through that. Oh. Yeah. And so, like, Ruby's mom was like, no, like, you have to do this. I know it's scary, but, like, you have to do this. I'd be like, uh, no, ma'am. Thanks, but no thanks. Oh, man. I know. It's so rough. So Ruby ate lunch alone and sometimes played with her teacher at recess, but she never missed a day of school that year. Not one. Every day that year, Ruby and her mom were escorted by four federal marshals to school. Four. So as she walked to school, she often passed crowds, um, people screaming vicious slurs at her. Um, every day as the marshals escorted Ruby to school, they urged her to keep her eyes forward so that though she could hear the insults and threats of the angry crowd, that she would not have to see the racist remarks that were on signs or the livid faces of the protesters. Oh, my God. That's just so horrible. Yeah. But undeterred, um, she said that she only became frightened when she saw a woman holding a black baby doll in a coffin. yeah people are so fucked i know like it's like it's a child like i don't 
how could you possibly want to like inflict that kind of trauma on a young kid just yeah. for going to school for wanting That's an so education disgusting. that oh was my god equal to what their children were getting i mean these are the kind of things that just like sometimes just make me think that like humans are sick yeah yeah. Like, human beings, like, we talk about being, like, the superior species to, like, animals and all that other shit. It's like, we're fucking demented. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Ew. I know. So, it's disgusting. It makes me so sad. Ugh. Ruby's family also suffered for their decision to send her to this elementary school in quite a few ways. Um, her father lost his job as a gas station attendant. The grocery store that the family shopped at would no longer let them shop there. Um, and her grandparents, who were sharecroppers in Mississippi, were turned off of their land. And her parents ended up separating. Aww. So Ruby has also noted that during this time, many people in the community, both black and white, did show support in a variety of ways. Um, for example, some white families continued to send their children to France Elementary despite the protests. Um, a neighbor provided her dad with a new job, and local people babysat, watched the house as protectors, and walked behind the federal marshal's car on the trips to school. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we always talk about how, like, people are so shitty, but there's also, like, that the group of people that, like are awesome so i'm glad that she had that because i couldn't imagine like being alone even though it's just like your family and like having to deal with all of this so it wasn't until she was an adult that she learned that the clothing that she wore to school in the first weeks at school um were sent to her family by a relative of a psychiatrist named dr coles that volunteered to help ruby her first year So, she said that her family could never have afforded the dresses, socks, and shoes that were documented in the photographs of her being escorted by the U.S. Marshals. But this doctor, who we'll talk about in a little bit, kind of donated all of that to her and her family. So, near the end of her first year, things began to settle down. Um, A few white children in her grade returned to school. Occasionally, Ruby got the chance to visit with them. By her own recollection, many years later, Ruby said that um, she was not aware of the extent of the racism that erupted over her attending the school. But when another child rejected Bridges's friendship because of her race, she began to slowly understand. By her second year at school, everything seemed to have changed. Mrs. Henry's contract wasn't renewed, and so she and her husband returned to Boston There were also no more federal marshals, and Ruby had to walk to school every day by herself. Yeah, there were other students in her second grade class this time, and the school began to see full enrollment again. No one really talked about the past year when Ruby was doing it by herself, and it seemed that everyone wanted to put the experience behind them. But, like, how the the fuck do you put that behind you? Because, I don't know, to me, I would have some sort of, like, resentment. But Hell yeah. yeah. That's probably why Ruby Bridges is a better woman than I'll ever be. I'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, fuck all of you. Like, get out yeah. of here. Um, her bravery inspired the Norman Rockwell painting, and that was called The Problem We All Live With, um, which depicts a young Ruby walking to school between the two sets of marshals. Um, her story was also recounted in Dr. Coles, the psychiatrist, his children's book called The Story of Ruby Bridges. 
um, which has his conversations with her at as its foundation. Um, she eventually graduated from a desegregated high school, and she worked as a travel agent for 15 years and later became a full-time parent. She was inspired by the murder of her youngest brother, Malcolm, in a drug-related incident in 1993, and it brought her back to her former elementary school. So, for a time, she looked after her brother's four children who attended the same school that she went to. Um, And she soon, yeah, began to volunteer there three days a week and became a parent community liaison. She spoke about her youthful experiences to a variety of groups around the country. She wrote a memoir that came out in 1999, which was the same year that she established the Ruby Bridges Foundation that she's still the chair of because she's like 60. Let's see. My mom's 63. Sorry, mom. So she's like 66 or 67, I think. The foundation uses educational initiatives to promote tolerance and unity among school children, and their mission is described as racism is a grown-up disease, and we must stop using our children to spread it. Yes, Ruby, you're right. Um, So like hundreds of thousands of others in the greater New Orleans area, Ruby lost her home due to Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Oh, jeez. Right. (laughs) Um, Hurricane Katrina also greatly damaged the school, William France Elementary, and she played a significant role in fighting to allow the school to remain open. And in November 2007, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis unveiled a new permanent exhibit documenting her life along with the lives of other remarkable children. The exhibit is called The Power of Children, Making a Difference. It costs $6 million to install and includes an authentic recreation of her first grade classroom. Oh, wow. That's so cute. Yeah. Which is, like, Indianapolis is probably, like, an hour and a half from me, so I feel like I need to go. Yeah, you should. I should. Totally should. And I'll take some pictures. So, um, on July 15th, 2011, she met with President Barack Obama at the White House, and while viewing the Norman Rockwell painting of her on display, he told her, I think it's fair to say that if it hadn't been for you guys, I might not be here, and we wouldn't be looking at this together. That is so, like, heavy. Yes. And, like, have you seen the pictures of, like, Kamala, like, walking, but it's, like, rubies in front of her? Oh, it, like, I have chills. No. I'll send it to I've you. I have not seen that. I literally oh have God. chills. It's, oh, my gosh. So, the Rockwell painting was displayed in the West Wing of the White House just outside the Oval Office from June through October of 2011. Um, and also, in September of 1995, Ruby and her psychiatrist, Robert Coles, were awarded honorary degrees from Connecticut College and appeared together in public for the first time to accept the awards. I wish somebody would give me an honorary degree. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, how does that work? Like, what do I have to do? How good of a person do I have to be to get an honorary degree? Don't ask me. I definitely don't know. <laughs> One day. Um, let's see. In January, on January 8th, 2001, she was awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal by President Bill Clinton. Um, and in November of 2006, she was honored as a hero against racism at the 12th Annual Anti-Defamation League Concert Against Hate. Oh, 
In 2012, she received another honorary degree from Tulane University at their annual graduation ceremony, and she has two elementary schools named after her. One in oh. California. Where's Alameda? Is it close to you? No, it's um up in right next to San Francisco. Okay, never mind. It's like a town in the East Bay, like right on the other side of the city. Interesting. That's so weird. Yeah. Like she's not even has in, like no connection to California. And then another one in Washington. And then there's a statue of her that stands in the courtyard of her old elementary school. Oh. Um, Ruby Bridges is currently 66 years old, and my girl has an Instagram. Does she really? Yes, I follow her, and she posts all these amazing, like, motivational things. So, I'm going to end with a few quotes from Ruby. Um, the first one is, I've been told that my ideas are grandiose. Yes, they are. However, so were the ideas that marched me through the screaming crowds and up the stairs of William France Elementary more than 50 years ago. Um, the second one is, my teacher, Mrs. Henry, taught me what Dr. King tried to teach all of us. We should never judge a person by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. That was the lesson I learned at six years old. Oh, my God. I believe that history should be taught in a different way. History definitely should be taught the way it happened, good, bad, or ugly. History is sacred. For me, history is a foundation and the truth. I agree. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is, every and each one of us is born with a clean heart. Our babies know nothing about hate or racism, but soon they begin to learn, and only from us. We keep racism alive. We pass it on to our children. We owe it to our children to help them keep their clean start. You know what's crazy is it's like for something that was so hard for her to go through where, you know, during that time that it was happening, I'm sure she felt so much loneliness and like just like sadness and sorrow about like the hate that was being inflicted upon her just for attending a school and not being a white person. Like that experience is so hard and yet like today it's it's crazy how like it that story changes you know so it's something that was typically considered very traumatizing for her and today it's like the most empowering thing for other people yes and like to so think it's like, like crazy how it flips to see her at six years old like walk into that school and then to see like me now like as a black teacher teaching white kids like it's <laughs> I just don't even have the words like my friends and I my other teacher friends and I talk about this all the time because they know my obsession with Ruby and like I just oh it's amazing it's so amazing and it it must feel so great for Ruby to think that like something that was so difficult for me is now like the greatest thing that happened yeah like, it, it's such an amazing thing that this occurred. Like, yes, it was painful and hard, but, like, that's besides the point because all of the good and positivity that it brought for the future was, like, worth enduring that hardship. Yeah, and then, like, at six years old, like, I'm sure she probably didn't think she was changing the world. She probably just thought she no. was trying to go to a new school. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I just I wonder like what it I did, had you heard anything like recent about her teacher? 
No. What was her name again? Mm, Barbara Henry. It would be so interesting to hear, like, that woman's perspective today, you know? Yeah. Being the woman that was her, like, teacher that first year. Yeah. And just, like, what that was like for her. Because I imagine she was probably a white woman. Yeah. Teaching the only black student during, like, uh, when people were, like, ready to burn the building down outside. Right. Like, and oh, like, my God, what a, an experience that was. Right. And imagine, like, all of these white people that probably hated her just for wanting, like, to educate this kid. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. I would give anything to, like, sit down with Ruby Bridges and, like, just talk to her. Ugh. I bet you can. I am. I'm going to slide in her DMs. <laughs> you should hey ruby um you know i'm damn well tagging her when i post this episode absolutely as you should because i'm her biggest fan girl oh my gosh i love her so much i'd probably sob if i ever got to talk to her well we need to make that happen i know <laughs> all right it's the new mission yeah. it's the new mimosa sister admission ruby jump on the zoom and talk to me please i love you so much i don't know i just feel like she was one of the influences for me to even, like, want to become a teacher because I was so fascinated, like, by her story growing up and to know that she's not that much older than my mom. Like, that is wild to me. It is wild. Yeah. So cool. That's really Oh, my God. I'm so happy you covered her because I... I just I remember seeing that picture of her on those steps and just being like, oh, my God, this is such an incredible person for the show. Yeah. And like probably jotting it down in a note somewhere and then losing it. Yeah, because you there's so many women in the world. Like, <laughs> I know. And it happens all the time. Oh, I'm, you know, little things you see or hear here and there. I quickly like jot it down and I'm like, ah, yes, <laughs> it's just so much. Yes. Oh, my God. That's awesome. I also just love the two people that we picked because we have this young child who changed the world. And then we have this older woman who, like, made history in her 60s. Yes. A literal badass. (laughs) Shit's crazy. And, like, it is crazy. And, like, in their own right, they're both just badass women. Like, Well, think of this, too, is, like... When Ruby's attending school, there's crowds of people ready to, you know, cause a riot over it. And that was, what, in the 50s? And we're talking about Stagecoach Mary in the late 1800s having just escaped slavery yeah. and interacting with small white towns. And, like, the fact that they actually loved her and accepted her and Ruby got the total opposite. Right. In the 1900s, it's just like, it's so weird to think about that timeline of events and like. I know. And it's also just, I think it's just so weird to think about the fact that like people are not accepting of people of different races. Like, how is that still a thing? I have no idea. It's like, in my opinion, I think the I think people like I'm like grossed out. I'm no, like, it's Ew. disgusting. Like for real, it's like I just feel like are you uneducated? Are you unaware of what year we live in? Like, are you stupid? Yeah. Like I don't understand what's happening in your brain. Yeah, and like I says, 
I teach in person and like online and like my kids are reading um online of mice and men and so like there's like a <laughs> yeah there's so many different that is such a weird story yeah it is there's so many isms in there so like ageism <laughs> racism classism like all all of these isms and like one of my students referred to the black character as colored and i was like ma'am like this is 2021 who taught you that and why are you still saying color duh Oh, man. <laughs> I just, I'm so confused. In Mice and Men, it's when Lenny accidentally kills that woman in the barn or something, yeah, right? Yeah, and he, like, has his infatuation with, like, soft things. So, like, yes. if it's a bunny, if it's a yes. a dog, okay. like, he just wants to pet it and he loves it so much that he kills it. Yeah, and then the town all came to kill him, and then his best friend had to, like, shoot him in the head in the field. Way to go, Melissa. Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a dark story, though! Oh, it really is. And, like, for all of that to happen in, like, 109 pages is wild. And, like, John Steinbeck was way before his time. Yeah. You know, there were a lot of, like, pretty heavy things we had to read as kids. Like, yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird. Animal Farm. Yes. Um, 1984. The fuck? What's that one with the kids? Something of the pigs. Lord of the, the Flies. The kids land on the island and kill each other. Yes. That is also <laughs> one of my favorites to teach. Oh, my God. Did you know that they made, like, a revamp of that on TV? No. Called The Wilds? You're lying. I'm pretty sure. I hope I'm not lying, but I'm pretty sure there's a new Amazon Prime series called The Wilds, and it's basically a, like, modernized version of Lord of the Flies, where it's a bunch of girls that crash on a plane on an island, and they're, like, high school-aged, and they all, like, basically fight to the death. And I just recently tried watching it with my boyfriend, like, last weekend, and we got, like, 20 minutes into it, and he's like, fuck this, turn it off. (laughs) Um. Just because it's very, like, 2020 era. Yeah. Like, talking about Twitter and, like, um, you know, this girl's, like, on the – it was just, like, too chicky for him. So he was, like, turn this shit off. I can't do it. But I want to go back and watch it because I haven't really thought about Lord of the Flies since I read that book. Yeah. So I'm kind of, like, curious to see what the modern version tale of it is. I don't ever think about these books until – I didn't ever think about them until – I became a teacher and I started teaching them. And then I'm like, shit, this is crazy. And so, like, I try to have these conversations with the kids. Like, we dead ass just got into a huge argument in my 11th grade class in person about how the girl in Of Mice and Men is a slut. And I'm like, no, she's not. She's misunderstood. She's the only lady on this farm. And they're like, well, well, she gave that man the look. I'm like, what's the look? Like, it could be a... It could be a stank eye. They're like, well, the author says she gives them a look. And, like, it was pandemonium. Like, I had to, like, shut it down because we were arguing. Oh, my God. Yeah. It, it's that wild. is so interesting. I know. It's so weird. And kids pick up on, like, the weirdest <laughs> shit now. So I'm like, guys, like, no. It could be any kind of look. And, like, that's what the point is. Like, he's over-sexualizing this lady. And they're like, well, I just don't understand. She gave him the look. I'm like, shut up. I can't. Oh, my God. Anyway. (laughs) But you know what? Like, on that same note, though, like, 
to think that back in the day a woman could be covered from head to foot in this like you know six pound fabric dress and she gives somebody the look and now she's like a potential victim of rape yeah like today you know we're wearing thong bikinis and shit like that and we're like going to the club and we're like booty twerking and a guy better not even look at me yeah don't even give me the look yeah Exactly. Yeah, it's crazy how times have changed. I know, in, like, all regards, like, whether it be race, like, gender, like, all of these things. It's just so weird. And, like, to see it through the eyes of my students is so bizarre. Because in high school, I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not reading this book. This is stupid. And now I'm like, you guys, Lenny. And they're like, okay, Miss Bell, like, chill. Cool. Well, that was awesome. Those are two great ladies featured together for our our cool Black History Month episode. Yes, that was so good. It's awesome. I can't, it's just, I'm loving it. I love doing this with you. This is so fun. You should totally um, do a little Facebook write-up on Stagecoach Mary and see what people say. Yes, I'm doing it. That's, that's my lady for the day. I try to, like, face it out and do, like, men and women, but I think I've done three women in a row, and she's about to be the fourth. I don't care. I don't care. Oh, I love it. I love her. She's so funny. I can't wait to see what people think. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is your freaking fourth episode. Third. Since... Oh, yeah. Third time's the charm, baby. Third time's the charm. It's so crazy to think that we've recorded together three times since last June. I know. It's just nuts. Look, I'll keep coming back anytime. You know it's open. (laughs) You're on on the schedule. You just give me a call. You're penciled right in. (laughs) Cut straight into the line. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Can you think of one person that would be inspired by this episode? If so, email it to them, text it to them, post it on social, and tag me and that person, and I will repost it on my page. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to help support me and the podcast, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show so you can receive episodes direct to your phone the exact moment that they release. Thank you guys so much for being here. I love you all more than words could ever express, and I hope you've learned something new today that you can carry on with you for the rest of your life. Sending you all the love, all the hugs, and all the bobs. Bye!